Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can give you praise today for who thou art. We thank you for the privilege that we have of lifting up our hearts and our voices heavenward and just saying, Father, what a blessing, what a privilege it is. And as we look around at this great country that we're in today, the mountains with all of their vastness, with all of their beauty, the sun with its warmth, we bow our hearts and we say, we thank you, Father, that thou art indeed our God. Now bless us as we look into the Word this morning. For those of us, Father, who have questions, we pray that we might find some answers. And for each of us, as we struggle spiritually in our lives, we pray that we might allow the Spirit of God to accomplish His work and His ministry. Father, this is what it's all about. It's allowing the Word of God to be applied to our hearts and to our lives that we might be more like Thee and more like Your Son, in whose name we pray. Amen. If you'll take your Bibles and turn with us this morning to Colossians chapter 1, we want to continue on here with the prayer life of the Apostle Paul and what Paul prayed for in his own life. And I think that as we've said, as we said yesterday, that Paul becomes the pattern of prayer for each of us as believers. In chapter 1 of Colossians, beginning with verse 9, we read there, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. I have appreciated so much in my ministry those who have come to us or those that we have met and have said to us, Pastor, we are praying for you and for your wife and for your ministry. I've mentioned before I've been ministering to a man that is totally deaf the last nine months, never will regain his hearing this side of glory. And he said, Pastor, I want you to know that every night I pray and I pray for you and your wife and for your church and for your ministry. And I appreciate that. I thank the Lord for that. Because I know that we have those who are faithfully supporting us in a prayer ministry. Now, Paul was a man of prayer. And it's interesting in his letters as he writes, he is able to write to those uh, that he is writing to and tell them, I am praying for you. The only book, the only letter that we do not find Paul mentioned prayer in is his letter to the Galatians. Uh, their spiritual condition, uh, as far as their doctrinal condition, I should perhaps say, uh, was so appalling to, to the apostle uh, that at least in the letter, I'm sure Paul prayed for them and he prayed hard for them, but in the letter he does not make mention of giving thanks to God for them. It's the only letter. So it is unique in that way. But now let's find out what he says he did not cease to pray for in their lives. First of all, we find that his prayer was a desire that they might be filled with the knowledge of God's will. That they might be filled with the knowledge of God's will. And there are three things about God's will that I think are important. First of all, God's will is knowable. God's will is knowable. I don't believe we have to wonder 
what God's will is in our lives. God's will is knowable, and it is known through the study and through the understanding of scriptures. Secondly, God's will is doable. As I've said to you on a number of occasions, God does not ask us to do anything that is either unreasonable or that we are unable to do apart from his strength or apart from his power. God's will is doable. And the third that we've already mentioned to you before is God's will is also acceptable. It is the perfect and acceptable will of God, and we rejoice in that. So Paul's prayer was that they might be filled with the knowledge of God's will. And the Colossian letter was written to deal with one of the issues that had arisen in the Colossian assembly, and that was for those who were stressing a super-knowledge or uh, an upon-knowledge. We find that today in the city of Madison, of course, we have the University of Wisconsin. And uh, we have been amazed to find out how many people in our city have degrees, how many have gone to colleges and the university. Uh, they're well-educated. And for someone like myself to enter into a ministry like that in a city, uh, I have a high school education, and that's all. Uh, I've had uh, many years of being educated by the Lord uh, over the years, to be certain. Uh, I've not attended Bible school at any point or time. My training has come from a godly father who loved the Lord and loved the Word of God. Uh, my training has come from over 31 years in the ministry. Uh, we've learned a great deal. We're still in the process of learning. But I thank the Lord that even though we are among some who are well-educated and those who can speak of uh, their degrees, uh, we do not have to be fearful of that because we can teach the Word of God, and the Word of God is always final authority. Uh, but Paul prayed that they might be filled not with worldly wisdom or worldly knowledge. The wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. Might I just say something again to you parents that have young people that may be going to college or may be ready for the university? Might I just say this? Don't for a moment believe that the most important thing in the life of your young person is education. It is not. Now, I don't, I'm not downing education. I, I know it's necessary. I know it's important. But the first thing concerning your sons and your daughters is not their education as far as the secular world is concerned, but their education as far as the Word of God is concerned. I would rather, and our three children uh, are not uh, highly educated as far as colleges are concerned, but we thank God for their lives spiritually. We thank the Lord for what we see in their lives. And I know God will bless them. If they keep where they belong spiritually, God will work in their lives in a special way. And on the other hand, I've talked to a number of parents whose children have gone off to colleges and universities and they have destroyed their faith. Today they are of no value at all uh, to the Lord because the education of this world uh, has destroyed their faith in the Lord and in the Word of God. But Paul's prayer was not that they might be educated so that they'll have a degree. But notice again that you might be filled with the knowledge. And this word knowledge here is a full knowledge or a complete knowledge. 
And this knowledge is to be of God's will. You see, this is where the knowledge is to be. It is to be in the will of God. And if you and I today believed in our hearts that God's will is best for our lives, we would desire the will of God above everything else in our lives. We would want to know the will of God more than anything else on this earth. If we truly believe that God's will is best, we're going to yearn for that will. Now I'm going to, I've been thinking about some of these thoughts this morning. I'm going to ask you to do something. I don't want you necessarily to write it down on paper. But is there something in your life that you would like to have the Lord change? Now I'm not, not asking you, is there something in the life of someone else that you would like to have the Lord change. I'm asking you this morning, is there something in your life that you would have the Lord change? I want to emphasize what I've stressed to you before. You cannot change someone else. To try and change another person is going to end up in conflict. If there is change to come into their lives and you believe that that change is necessary and essential, I think you're going to have to go back to these biblical principles of praying for them that they might know and understand the will of God for their lives. Now the more you try and change your person, the greater is going to be the conflict. And barriers are going to be erected. And those barriers can become walls oftentimes. So I'm asking you this morning, is there something in your life that you desire God to change? And if there is, I believe that you and I should commit it to prayer before the Lord and allow the Word of God to do its work. Now, brethren, let's face it. We can know the will of God in His Word. I don't have to wonder what God's will is for me as a husband. I know what God's will is for me as a husband. God's will for me is to love my wife as Christ loved the church. God's will for me is to love my wife as my own body. And I heard something, and I want to just share it with you. I think it's good. I am to love my wife because she is my own body. You see, Christ loves the church. Why? Because it is his own body body. When we enter into marriage, we become one. The two become one flesh. And I am to love my wife because she is my own body. So I don't have to wonder what God's will is for me in this area. I know what God's will. My problem is not knowing the will of God. My problem is yielding and surrendering to the will of God. And as we've said already to the wives, and I oftentimes get accused of preaching harder to husbands than I do at the wives. Uh, but to the wife, of course, we know there is the ministry of submission. And again, it's the will of God. Now, we can resist it, we can fight it, but we're never going to find the completion or the fulfillment in our lives that God has designed for our lives. God knows how we are to run or how we are to uh, function. God has created us that way. He said, this is my will, this is my purpose, this is my design. 
Now, when I learn to live within God's will and God's purpose and God's design, I'm going to experience the greatest blessings, the greatest joy, the greatest peace, the greatest satisfaction. So that's why I ask you, is there something in your life today that you would like to have God change? And then the second question I ask you is, do you really want God to change it? You see? We may state it sometimes, oh, I'd like to have the Lord change this. But do we really want it? Because I believe if we really want it, God will do it. If we really want that change, the Lord will give us that change in our lives. But we have to be willing to let Him accomplish His will and accomplish His purpose in our lives. And this, of course, enters into every area of our life. Again, my first relationship is with God the Father. My first relationship with, with God the Father. Howard Hendrickson once said this, that if I ever find myself out of fellowship with my wife, I automatically conclude I'm out of fellowship with God. I go and get straightened out with God, and then I go and get straightened out with my wife. Can I be truly in fellowship with God? Can I be walking in the will of God and be out of harmony with my wife? I can't. Can I be in the will of God and be out of harmony, out of fellowship with the Lord's people? No, I can't. Because if I am not in harmony with the Lord's people, if I'm not where I ought to be spiritually there, I surely cannot be right before the Lord spiritually. So my first responsibility then is to the Lord to get straightened out with Him in my life and when I'm right with Him I'll be right with my wife I'll be right with my children I'll be right with my congregation I'll be right with the members of the body of Christ. You see my dear friend I cannot have hatred in my life for you I cannot have ill feeling in my life for you and claim that I'm in fellowship with the Lord. Because if I'm truly in fellowship with the Lord, His love is going to be manifested to me. And might I remind each of us again that love is giving. Love is giving. It's not what I receive. One pastor was telling about a young couple that came to him for premarital counseling. And he said, I asked them, why do you want to get married? And the young lady began to tell the pastor, well, you know, when I'm around him, I just feel so wonderful, and he just does so much for me. And she went on and talked all about her feelings and all about what she was getting. And he asked the young man, why do you want to get married? No, I said, you know, when I'm around her, I'm just in the clouds and so on and so And he went through that, and Pastor uh, Craig Massey turned to this young couple and said, you know, he said, you're not in love. He said, all you've told me about is what you want to get. You haven't told me about what you're going to give. Love is giving. You see? Had that young man say, said to him, well, you know, I want to make this young lady happy. I want to fulfill her life. I want to, to just be a spiritual leader to her. I want to direct her in her life. If she'd have said, I want to complete him, because I know that's what the biblical principle is. 
that the wife is the completer of the man, and I want to complete him. I want to make him a total man before the Lord. I want to be his spiritual helpmate. You see, had she said that, it had been different. But all they talked about is what they were going to get, what they were going to get, instead of what they're going to give. Love is giving, my dear friend. And when you serve the Lord, you're going to serve the Lord out of love. Now, I admit, I have gone to meetings already, and I've gone on visitation work when I have been tired and exhausted, and I just did not feel like going. But I went because I knew someone had to go and tell these people about God's love. I knew they needed fellowship. I knew they needed encouragement. And so I went as tired as I was, and I received a blessing. But I went out of God's love, you see. I don't do everything I want to do in the ministry. I do what God wants me to do. There are many times I would rather not do certain things. But I know the will of the Lord for my life, and His ministry demands that I do things that I don't want to do. But I need to be willing to do His will. And I think this is what Paul is praying for concerning these Colossian believers. As I've said to you before, when Mrs. Baker and I pray for our children and our grandchildren, we pray what Paul prayed. That our children and our grandchildren might be filled with the knowledge, a full knowledge of God's will. Because like I've said to you before, I know that if our children are in fellowship with the Lord, if they love the Lord, and they're living for the Lord, I don't care what comes into their lives, they're going to be able to handle it. They're going to be able to handle it. But if they're not in fellowship with the Lord, there are many things that are going to throw them because they're not going to be able to cope with it. I know that. I've seen it in the lives of older people who have not had a close relationship with the Lord as they get older. They become complainers. They've no doubt been complainers, many of them, uh, most of their lives. And you can't please them. You can't satisfy them. No matter what people do, it's never enough. They're always discouraged. They're always down on something or somebody. I, I've seen such a vast difference between people that I go and minister to who are well along in years. Some I go to and their bodies are weak and they're underneath uh, pain and suffering. And you go there and they're rejoicing in the Lord. They, they say, let's talk about the Lord. Let's talk about the Word. And I go to others and that's the last thing they want to talk about. What's the difference? The difference is in their relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I trust that you and I will develop such a relationship with Him that when we get older, that we're going to be a testimony for the honor and for the glory of God. Solomon, in the book of Ecclesiastes, speaks of those as evil days. I never realized the impact of that until I've dealt these last few years especially with some folk who have had to give up their homes give up all of their possessions and go into a convalescent home. And I tell you, it's not easy. When they put you into a room with three or four other people and some of them don't know where they're at, don't know what they're doing, uh, some of them can't control themselves, it's an awful thing, especially if you're mentally alert. It's not an easy matter. But even in this, God is able to give grace. So Paul is praying for the Colossians. He's praying that they might have a full knowledge of God's will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Now note the result in verse 10, that ye might walk, listen, 
that we might walk worthily of the Lord. My dear friend, I still believe, and I know it's true in the word of God, God saved us into a holy life. I believe that. God saved us into a holy life. It's God's will for you and for me today to live holy and righteously before him. That's what salvation is all about. He delivered us from this present evil world or this present evil age. Salvation is not just a matter that I'm not going to have to go to the lake of fire someday. Salvation means that all of these things that have enslaved me and I've been entangled with and have held me captive, God has set me free from these things that would hinder my fellowship with Him and hinder my walk with my Lord. And so Paul writes here, he's, he's praying for them that they might walk worthily of our Lord unto all pleasing unto all please and I've used the illustration you'll have to forgive me when I keep going back to my grandkids but uh, we were visiting our daughter's house one time and uh, we were sitting together in the living room and she had a uh, dish of peanuts over there and she said to her daughter at that time little Bonnie she said would you get me some peanuts and her face just lit up and she said oh sure and I, I thought of that so often she wanted to please her mother. Now oh, we want to please people, don't we? How many times have you wives spent a lot of time in the kitchen, perhaps, put a lovely meal on the table for your husband, and he's come home, and not once did he ever say, Honey, thank you so much for all of your hard work. How many times when the husband's come home from a hard day at work and he's exhausted from the pressures of business or from the pressures of the world that he's in, have you as a wife ever come over to your husband and said, Honey, thank you so much for going out in that old world and working for me? You see, we want to please one another, don't we? A wife needs to know that she is pleasing to her husband. A man needs to know from his wife that he is pleasing to his wife. And you see, all of this is in the realm of pleasing our Lord. Brethren, as I've tried to stress here, the Bible is a practical book. We're not, we're not talking about some far-off land. We're talking right down here where I live. And I've said to you before, there's nothing affects me more as a man than my wife and my relationship with her. There's nothing that will affect you more than your children and your relationship with them. One of the ladies last evening spoke to me with tears running down her face, just thanking God that her daughter was serving the Lord. And I'm sure that I can get a testimony perhaps from some here today whose children are not living for the Lord and the heartache that comes from parents whose children are not living from the Lord it affects you my dear friend it affects us and that's why we start teaching and training our children when they're little those who say well when my child is old enough to make a decision 
Oh, how foolish that is. Listen, children don't have the knowledge to make a right decision. Solomon said foolishness is bound up in the heart of the child. A child don't know how to make a decision. They don't know right from wrong. They'll choose candy to uh, vegetables just about every time unless you train them differently. There are some children I know that would rather have the vegetables. They would rather have an apple than candy. I think that's good. Uh, but what I'm saying, this has to be taught. A child cannot make a right choice. I don't care even when they're teenagers. A teenager doesn't have the head on their shoulder to make right decisions. Now they think they do, but they don't. They think they know what the world is all about, but they don't. And those of us who are parents and grandparents in love, we need to be able to instruct them and warn them about what some decisions will lead to. That's our responsibility. Again, this is God's will. And so Paul's prayer for them is that they might walk worthily of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in this full knowledge of God. This is the prayer for my congregation as a pastor. It's our desire that our congregation might be serving the Lord, that they might be having a fruitful ministry so that when the Lord does come and we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, that God's going to richly reward them for their lives of service. I don't want to see any of our people go to heaven without rewards. I want to see them go to heaven having had a fruitful life. And that's the will of the Lord for us, isn't it? A fruitful Christian life? Is this the prayer that you have for your family? For your loved ones? For your friends? Isn't it so often true, brethren, that we're praying for the material things? One man came to a pastor one time. He said, Pastor, I'd like to have you pray for my family and myself. He said, I, I've taken a transfer. And uh, he said, oh, my family, our family has been very involved and very busy in the church here and Bible studies and in youth work and everything. It was apparently a very sound, fundamental church where they really were loving the Lord and serving the Lord. And I said, Pastor, he said, I've taken this job. It's going to mean better position for me. It's going to mean more money for me. But he said, the only thing, Pastor, he said, I don't believe there's a fundamental work there. And he said, my children aren't really going to have a, a young people's work to go to. He said, I'd like to have you pray for us that uh, God will really direct and open up this door for this job or whatever. And the pastor turned to that, young, to that man. He said, I'm not going to pray for you. He said, what do you mean? He said, you're out of the will of the Lord. He said, you're thinking about material things. You should be thinking about spiritual things. You should be thinking about your children, your young people, being underneath the teaching of sound word, the word uh, sound teaching. You should be concerned about your family being in a Bible teaching, Bible believing church. You're concerned about more money, taking your family away from the things of the Lord. He said, I can't pray for that. That's not God's will. You see, we put the material things, don't we, oftentimes above the spiritual things. 
As I said already, many young person has gone to college and university, their faith has been destroyed. It'd been better off for the parents that kept the kids home and taught them in the home and let them have some job that may not be quite so fancy, may not have such a big title to it. There's a verse in Paul's letter to Timothy that really, it's a difficult verse for all of us. God says, having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. And I tell you, brethren, that really hits us, doesn't it? Having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. It's hard for us, isn't it, in this materialistic world? We're always looking for better and bigger things. I remember back a long time ago, I went out and I bought a boat, and I saved up enough money to get a boat. And I went out and bought a used motor for it, and I put that used motor on that, but it didn't do the job at all. I had, a better, had to get a better motor. And I went out and I bought myself a better motor, you know, but uh, I didn't have it too long. Decided I needed a lot more than I needed a boat and motor, and I sold the thing. But uh, how many people have bought a boat? They started out that way, and that was all right, but it didn't pull skis. So we had to have a boat that pulled skis with a bigger motor on it. You know, it pulled one, but didn't pull two, so you had to have a bigger boat yet and a bigger motor. And the next thing you know, you're going bigger and bigger, and you've got a monster there you don't know what in the world you're going to do with when you get done. Well, snowmobile, you can go into anything, can't we? We just get carried away with these things. But you see, we cannot lose sight of the spiritual. When you get to heaven, God isn't going to ask you what kind of a boat and motor you had. He isn't going to ask you if you could ski on one ski or if you could kick them both off and ski on your feet. He isn't gonna, God doesn't worry about that. He is going to be concerned, though, about how you loved him and served him down here. Now, there's nothing wrong with having things if God provides them for you. When God put Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, God gave them all these things to enjoy. But there was one restriction, wasn't there? God says, everything is here for you, Adam and Eve. It's all here. Everything you need for your enjoyment, everything you need for your comfort, it's all here. Now, I want you to enjoy them. And like I said, I am the Adam and Eve. My, what a wonderful opportunity they had there. God says, it's all for your enjoyment. But whatever you do, you're not allowed to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the midst of the garden. God said, if you do, you're going to die. But the point is, God gave them all of these things to enjoy. What has happened today, brethren, is we have become a slave to things instead of things being under our control. There is a difference. People have become a slave to things. Instead of us using the things to enjoy them, we've become their slaves. And it's easy even for Christians to get so financially in debt buying things that they can't enjoy serving the Lord. You see, they're so pressed financially, and we're living in hard times. I understand that. Mrs. Baker and I are old enough and young enough to realize the time when we could go to the grocery store and we could buy hot dogs, three pounds per dollar. We could go to the grocery store and we could buy hamburger, very, very cheap. 
I remember when Velveeta cheese went from about 59 cents for two pounds to 89 cents, and I said, we're not going to buy it anymore. It's just too expensive. You know, I'd gladly buy Velveeta cheese today for 89 cents for two pounds. <laughs> you see, we're old enough and young enough. I know, it's not easy. The little type said to mother and dad, look, mom, dad, I can carry $25 worth of groceries. Not much of a problem. <laughs> so we're, but the thing is, brethren, even in these days, we dare not allow the things to control us. We have to allow the Lord to be the master in our lives. You see, this is practical, isn't it? It's practical. And we go on from here. Paul says in verse 11, strengthened with all might. Well, listen, we're pretty weak. You know that, don't you? You know that you don't have any strength in yourself. You know that. We're pretty weak. There isn't any of us here today, perhaps given the right circumstances, the right thing, the right time, and we could fall into sin. Oh, say, not me? No. No, I don't think David thought he ever could either. You ever stop to think of a man like Solomon? Some of you have read your assignment. Good. Beautiful prayer, wasn't it? And we'll get into that, Lord willing, before the week is over. Beautiful prayer. Solomon had the tremendous privilege of building a temple for God. And in the next chapter, God says to Solomon, I have heard your prayer and I'm going to live in your temple. And Jerusalem is going to be my city. You know what Solomon did before his life was over? Solomon went out and he built temples for all of his Gentile wives. They turned his heart away from God. And God said to Solomon, I'm going to take the kingdom away from you. I'm not going to do it now. I'm going to do it, Solomon, after you're gone. I'm going to do it with your son. But I'm not going to take it all away. I'm going to leave one tribe because of David. Not because of Solomon. This beautiful prayer of dedication of the temple. And yet this man who prayed such a beautiful prayer built temples for the gods of his Gentile wives and lost the kingdom as far as God was concerned. Now, God had made a covenant with David that he would never, never, never lose the covenant. He'd never lose the throne. God says, if you can destroy, if you can break the covenant of day and night, God said, then I can break my covenant with David. And brethren, that's impossible. God will never break that covenant. And if our covenant theologians would understand that, they'd get far closer to Pauline theology. They don't understand that. They don't accept that. Now, when I talk about covenant theologians, some of you might wonder what I'm saying. There are those who do not believe in a literal kingdom here on this earth. They do not believe in the restoration of Israel as a nation. And they say God is done with Israel. But if they realize that God's promise to David cannot be broken, God's promise to Abraham of a land is unconditional, 
God is going to set up that kingdom, even as we noted last evening in our study, for His name's sake. He is going to honor His name. He is going to glorify His name. If they understood that, they'd begin to see more of what Paul was writing about in his own writings. All right, in verse 11, then, we read there, strengthened with all might. And I have to ask God, Lord, give me the strength. It has to come from Him. It is God which worketh in you both the will and to do of your good pleasure. My dear friend, you and I are not even willing to do the will of God. We have to ask God to give us the will to do His will. We have to ask the Lord, Lord, make me willing to do your will. Because the natural man doesn't want to do the will of God. Even as I'm talking this morning, there's some of us perhaps that are going through a conflict in our own minds and hearts. We know what God's will is. But inward we're saying, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. And we have to say, Lord, make me willing to be willing. That's what Paul was praying. Strengthened with all might according to his glorious power. With all, unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness. Isn't that beautiful? Strengthened with all might according to his glorious power. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Through him, not through myself. My flesh is weak. I don't have any strength in myself. The Lord has to be my strength. He is my power. Without Him, I would react the same way that anyone else does. But with Him and in Him, I can do what He wants me to do. And as you study the prayer life of Paul, you will find that he is always praying for the spiritual, never for the material, never for the physical. There's a reason for that. The reason for it, first of all, is our citizenship isn't down here on this earth. Our citizenship belongs to the heavenlies. Now, we today, as members of the body of Christ, don't understand, perhaps, the fact that everything belongs to God, as did Israel. Because God gave with Israel a period of time that was called the year of Jubilee. Every 50 years... Everything averted back to its original owner. And the reason God did this is to show the people that nothing they had was really their own. It all belonged to the Lord. He gave them the land. He set out the boundaries. He made the divisions. And God said every 50 years, everything goes back to the original owner because the land is the Lord's. And this they were to be consciously aware of. Not that they did. Because Israel went far from our Lord and God had to judge them quite severely because they had turned from Him. But they became consciously aware of that. Now we do also when death enters in, don't we? We become consciously aware that nothing we have is really our own. Maybe I shared with you already the stories told about the little girl. Her daddy had a birthday coming up. She wanted to get her daddy something. She'd seen daddy looking in the window of the store and admiring some slippers. And she determined that's what she wanted by daddy. And his birthday was getting near. And she was not very old, maybe four years old or so. 
And she was going to buy slippers for her daddy, and somebody said to her, where are you going to get the money? Why, she looked at them with a big smile, well, from daddy, you know. <laughs> yeah, we give back to the Lord, don't we? What he gave to us. Where did you get it to begin with? From our heavenly Father. So we're giving back to him what he gave to us in the beginning. My life belongs to him when Jesus Christ purchased me. He purchased me body, soul, and spirit. My body belongs to him. And whenever I serve the Lord, I'm just giving back to him what rightfully is his. It belongs to him. He created man in the beginning. Man fell, went away from the Lord. God redeemed man by his grace and for his glory. I belong to the Lord. In a sense, I'm twice bought, as the little story goes on to tell about. Some of you might know it. My body belongs to the Lord. My eyes belong to the Lord. My ears belong to the Lord. I belong to Him. Now what I do with this body makes a difference to my Heavenly Father. Because it's His. Now if I take my body and I give it over to sin and I give it over to Satan, that doesn't please my Heavenly Father. It makes Him sorry. It grieves Him. I don't want to grieve my Heavenly Father. Do you? All right, the Christian life, listen, I'm not saying to you today that the Christian life is a breeze. It's a struggle. It's a battle. All around us is the appeal of the world. The television says, if you want it, buy now, pay later. They don't tell you how much you're paying later. You know, there's always the appeal to the natural man. And it's a strong appeal. It's a strong appeal. There is the battle. We have an enemy, the adversary, the devil. And you really don't know what trouble is until you become a child of God. You don't know how powerful the enemy is until you are taken out of his kingdom. Have you ever read the story, the book, rather, Pilgrim's Progress? Quite an interesting book. Worthwhile reading. When Satan realizes he lost someone from his kingdom, he's not happy. He doesn't quit. He begins to fight like he's never fought before. And so when you become a child of God, you better be aware of the fact you're going to have some battles. But you know something? We have wonderful strength and power in our Lord. I, I find it kind of interesting that in the book of Revelation chapter 12, and I think we're going to see this from heaven, I, I, I think we're going to cheer Michael and his angels on. When Michael and his angels are fighting against the devil and his angels, and they're going to throw the old devil out of heaven. You know, that startles people. Say, Preacher, you mean to tell me the devil is in heaven? Well, I believe that's what God says in his word. He's in heaven. Now that, that really shakes some people up. They thought, sure, he was down in hell. And I've heard preachers oftentimes, I heard it just recently, in Matthew 16, concerning the kingdom church, 
It states there, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. They say all the forces of evil are not going to prevail against it. Where does it say in the Bible that hell has forces of evil in it? The only thing I know of, fallen angels are in a place called Tartarus until a time of judgment. From what I know today, Satan is in heaven. He has a host of angels in heaven. What, what has that got to do with the kingdom church? What, God is, what our Lord is saying there in Matthew 16 is that death is not going to prevail against that kingdom church. It's not going to die off. It might die off as far as the earth is concerned, but as far as God is concerned, that kingdom church is still in existence today. Not here. And if you excuse me, in the heart of the earth. Because there are some who believe that they've already gone up to heaven, but that's quite another subject again. Yeah, this trouble, there are so many subjects, isn't there? But let's go back here in verse 12. Giving thanks unto the Father. Are you a thankful person today? Are you thankful? You thankful for the oatmeal you have in the morning sometimes? You're thankful for what the Lord has done for you, that he cared enough for you and about you to leave heaven's glory, come down to this earth and die for you. My dear friend, you and I should never fail to thank God for our salvation. I still thank him. I'm glad he saved me. I'm thankful for that. I know. If I got what I deserved, and I said that to you before, if I got what I deserved, I'd be lost forever. And I'll eternally be grateful to God for saving me. And when I get to heaven and I see my blessed Lord and Savior and I see everything that he left behind and came down to this earth to die for me, my heart is going to overflow with gratitude that he was willing to come down to this earth and die for a sinner like me. Our son Tim preaches at a small church and uh, it's kind of a halfway house for men that have had real emotional problems. It had been in the service, and they're highly uh, underneath uh, medication. But uh, they sing, and they've been singing quite a bit. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Well, Carolyn was going around the house singing amazing grace but she only learned just a little bit of it and she was going around the house singing a wretch like me a wretch like me <laughs> she's about two years old now how big of a wretch can a two year old be <laughs> that's the only part out of that that she could remember a wretch like me <laughs> uh, some of us adults we could sing that with no problem couldn't we aren't you glad today God saves sinners I am. God doesn't save the righteous. God doesn't save the holy. God doesn't save the just. God doesn't save the good. God saves sinners. Paul says this saying is worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am foremost. That's how I got in. Because I knew that Jesus Christ died for sinners and he died for me. 
I don't think it takes any faith to, be, to know that you're a sinner. I always used to say, you have to believe that you're a sinner. I don't say that much any longer. You don't have to believe that. It's a fact. You don't take any faith to believe that. That's a fact. The faith comes in is when you believe that Jesus Christ, 1900 years ago, died on the cross of Calvary for your sins. That's where the faith comes in. That it was settled back yonder on Calvary's tree. When the Son of God lifted up his voice heavenward and said, Finished. Finished. The work the Father sent the Son to do, the work of your redemption and my redemption was finished on the cross of Calvary. And so we read here, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet. We, we weren't worthy, brethren. We weren't worthy. God has made us worthy to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Paul says, I'm praying for you, Colossians, and I'm praying that you might be filled with a full knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding that you might walk worthily unto the, uh, unto the Lord, being fruitful in every good work. And brethren, that's the prayer that you and I need to be praying. I don't pray, Lord, give them a Cadillac. I say, Lord, give them a place in heaven. Because that old Cadillac's going to wear out someday. Isn't it amazing how that car you went down? I have uh, one car dealer in my church, and he doesn't always appreciate when I talk about cars. <laughs> uh, but isn't it something, you know, that great big old car on that floor, that showroom, it looks so beautiful and so big and, oh, just so marvelous, and you bought that thing. And you thought you had everything you'd ever wanted in life. And after a couple of days, you drive into a parking lot and you park it next to an old junker. And they get out of that thing and they open up that door and oh no. There goes that beautiful old car. It's got a dent in it. Some of the cars, it's getting a little bit better now, but after a few years you look and you wonder what happened to that fender. Great big old rust spot on it. And that old limousine. That looked so beautiful before. Now it doesn't look so hot any longer. I, I've, I've said, uh, you know, if you want to want to come down in a hurry when you buy a big car, you go back the next day and tell me you want to trade it in. You're going to find out it done lost some money along the way. <laughs> They're going to tell you, well, look, my friend, uh, it's a used car now. We can give you $1,500 less than it was yesterday. We can't, you know, use cars. We have a little bit harder time selling. <laughs> but anyhow, you know what I'm talking about. That's true in anything in life, isn't it? It all gets old. Well, we ought to be a thankful people. Let's go to Ephesians for just a few moments, and then we're going to give you a chance for any comments or questions. I want you to turn with me to the third chapter of Ephesians, and I encourage you to study the prayer life of Paul. Ephesians chapter 3, notice again, beginning with verse 14, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 16, That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man. Let me tell you, my dear friend, the older man has a way of getting weaker. A flight of stairs seems to somehow get a little bit longer than it did before. 
as you get older. But as we get older, the inner man should be getting stronger and stronger and stronger. So Paul was praying, not that they would be strengthened in the outer man. We looked at this on Monday. But that we might be strengthened in the inner man. Because I know if our Lord doesn't come in the next hundred years, I know it's going to happen to every one of us. We're going in the ground. The outer man isn't going to get stronger every day. The outward man, we're told, decays. The inward man is renewed. And I don't pray that God will strengthen the outer man. Because I know the outer man is never going to return to what it was. When you're 50, there's never going to be a time again in your life that you're going to have the strength that you had when you're 20 years of age. If you try and prove that you do have that strength, you're in for some real trouble. But we find it gets older. But Paul says he's praying that they might be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in your heart. You know what it means to dwell? It means to feel at home in your hearts. Husbands and wives are to dwell together. It doesn't mean just live in the same house. They're to feel at home with one another. Does God feel at home in your life today? Does the Holy Spirit feel at home in your life this morning? That Christ may dwell in our hearts and in our lives. That He might feel at home there. He doesn't feel at home if you take him into a tavern. You don't, you don't really feel at home there. He doesn't feel at home if you go where the world goes and you do the things the world does. He doesn't feel at home. He's with you. When you're saved by the grace of God and sealed by the Holy Spirit of God and He takes up His dwelling place in your life, and you can't leave Him outside the door. You can't go to the door and say, Lord, you stay out here. I'm going in and have a little fun. I'll pick you up when I get back out. Oh, no, my dear friend. You can't do that with the Lord. And so Paul says he was praying that the Lord might dwell in their hearts by faith. You see, by faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth, the length, the depth, the height, and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Isn't that what we desire for every believer, for every member of the body of Christ? Brethren, that you and I may be thrilled with the word of God, that we may be thrilled with our position, our standing, our blessings in Jesus Christ, God's Son. I would a thousand times rather know the Word of God rightly divided than speak five minutes in an unknown language. Because I tell you, my dear friend, I have so much more because of what God has done for me through His beloved Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And you notice what God has done for me. I'm, I'm not taught what I've done for God. 
I'm talking about what God has done for me. Even when I serve Him, it's God who works through me. Any goodness you may ever observe in this man is God's and not mine. It's His. And so we're talking about what God does for us, not what we do for Him. And to know this love. And it has a dispensational thought here. Because the love of God deals with the grace of God. And the grace of God today is all-inclusive. The love of God is demonstrated in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that God was in Christ yonder on Calvary's tree reconciling the world unto himself. Now mind you, my dear friend, Paul preached it, no one else did. That's dispensational truth. Reconciliation begins with Paul, it ends with a rapture. But today the love of God knows no limits. It knows no boundaries. No one has sinned too much. No one has sinned too great a sin. No one has committed an unpardonable sin today. God is able to forgive, to declare righteous, and to justify any man, woman, young person, boy or girl who will come by faith into the finished work of the cross. Isn't that beautiful? Then he goes on to say this. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we ask or think. Of a young lad that I've been working with uh, in Bible study. He's only been saved about a year. Tremendous testimony. And as I've talked to him about the word of God rightly divided, I've gone through some of these truths. His lives just literally get big, biggest saucers. He, he just can't comprehend it. Just, it just overwhelms him of what God has done. Unto him that is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all of the ages, world without end, or the ages of the ages. Amen. Well, maybe you've got a comment or a question on what we've covered here. Again, we've been dealing with some very practical but very important truths. Maybe you've got a question or a comment on what we've been talking about this morning. I have a couple of questions I'll be dealing with uh, this afternoon. But if you have any questions you want to write down and turn them in, we'll be more than happy to, to take care of them. Anyone with a question or a comment? Yes? Uh, in regard to, you didn't finish the Lord's Prayer, you'd probably do that question and answer. Well, I probably won't go any further into it than what I have. I think I have covered it sufficiently to show that it has to do with the kingdom and that forgiveness of sins today is not a condition. It is an unconditional thing. So I probably will not go beyond that point with, uh, with that particular prayer. Any other questions or thoughts? Yes. Uh, the only one that God gives a name to is Michael. God knows who they are. I don't. But there are two groups of angels, those who have been faithful and those who have not been faithful. And uh, this great battle is going to go on in heaven. And as we noted in our study yesterday, you can read about that in Revelation chapter 12.
And it appears that as much as a third of the angelic hosts are going to be cast out of heaven down onto the earth with Satan at that period of time. But no, God doesn't tell us just who they were by name. Anyone else? Yes. Verse 18 talks about four dimensions here. What is the, the breadth, length, depth, and height? Normally, uh, matter, rather, has three dimensions. Mm-hmm. Well, I think, again, it, it, uh, it originates in heaven. It comes down to this earth. Christ himself descended in the very lower parts of the earth. Uh, it, he's just showing that it is unlimited. Uh, unlimited, rather. Pastor Stam has an excellent little uh, article out on that, uh, covering this very verse of scripture here. And it has to do, essentially, though, with the grace of God and the administration of grace. Because as we pointed out, in the gospel records, it was limited to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Today, God's grace knows no limits. It knows no boundaries. And I think there's a song that uh, is written, something like that. But uh, no matter how far you go, a young man that spoke for us one time, sometimes I don't always get that straight, but he got up to speak one time. And uh, he mentioned he preached in our church before, and he said, I asked Pastor Baker... Uh, what he thought of my message the last time I preached. He said, Pastor Baker told, it, told me it reminded him of uh, grace and mercy. And the young fellow said, well, what do you mean by that? Uh, he said it means grace because uh, it endures, let's see, grace knows no measure and mercy endures forever. I, I've got that twisted around just a little bit here. But he was uh, just throwing that out. It was kind of comical the way he presented. It doesn't come out that way right now. Maybe we'll get it straightened around and we'll get it coming out here, right? But uh, he's just uh, showing here that the, the grace of God in the administration of grace has no boundaries. And he does deal with, uh, with all the aspects of it. Yes, Brother Al. Oh. Having to do with love. Mm-hmm. Right. But you cannot separate grace from love or love from grace. God's love is demonstrated in his grace to us. If there was no demonstration of love, it would be of no value. Okay, I think we have one over here first. What is the name of, of Pastor Stan's book or booklet about the boundless? Russ, do you know offhand what the name of that is, the title of that book is? Is it the dimensions of the mystery? Yes, it is. Well, I thought he had just a little booklet on the love of Christ that uh, has that in it. Mm-hmm. But it's it's the dimensions of the mystery is a little bit heavier booklet, but it's still it's not a big book. It is, but either one of those. Okay, they're at the bookstore. So there you go. Right, now I think we had somebody else over here. Yes. Cannot, right. We 
which is a beautiful thought too, isn't it? Not a thing. And not only not death, but I think what is also important in that context, not life. See, many people believe that life or death doesn't separate us from God's love, but somehow they get the idea that when they go through problems or testings and trials, that somehow they've been separated from God's love. So the emphasis is not even life, with all that's involved, separates us from God's love. Okay, I guess it's uh, more than time, so we'll break off and we'll pick this up again uh, this evening. Again, if you have any questions you want to write down, feel free to do it.